What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you for joining me today in our continuing arc of the Von Bulos as we cover the four dramatic days within the second trial of Klaus Von Bulow, picking up in this episode with the jury and what happens to our man Nick during the time the jury is out deliberating the fate of Klaus von Bülow. There is a lot packed into this time period of less than 100 hours. Let's investigate. So in that second trial, the New York Jets versus Providence High, after the last word from both sides, the prosecution and the defense, the only thing left to do is for the jury to deliberate the fate of Klaus von Bülow. They are going to stay out for four days, and while the jury is deliberating, Dominic Dunn will occupy his time as well. Here he gets quite close to some of the other characters in this drama, specifically Sonny's children, Allah and Alexander, as well as cementing his reputation as an up-and-coming press person with the pack of reporters that are also covering this trial. First up, Dominic Dunn is going to be invited by Sonny's children to spend some time at Clarendon Court. Dominic Dunn tells it the best. This is Dunn writing in Fatal Charm. While the jury was out deliberating, Allah and Alexander invited me to Newport to spend the night at Clarendon Court. We dined across Bellevue Avenue at the home of Countess Elizabeth de Rommel, an American friend of Allah's titled by a former marriage whose Newport antecedents, the Prince and the Wood Prince families, date back for generations. There were a dozen guests. Despite attempts at joviality, the conversation throughout dinner never strayed far from the trial and the looming verdict. Allah and Alexander, who were dubbed the kids by the press during the trial, are remarkably unspoiled for young people who have grown up amid a kind of wealth and opulence that is almost incomprehensible. Clarendon Court is a house where you walk through huge rooms to get to other huge rooms. Outside, between the terrace and the sea, is the mammoth swimming pool built by Sunny when she acquired the house after her second marriage. Two fountains in the pool shoot water twenty feet into the air. She gave her last great party here, a twenty-first birthday celebration for Alexander, at which all the guests wore white and played croquet on the sweeping lawns as the mist rolled in from the ocean. That was Klaus's, said Allah, with a shudder of distaste, pointing to a cast-iron jardinier held up by three mythological figures with erect penises. Some of the furniture in the house belongs to von Bülow from his Belgrave Square apartment. At the end of the first trial, when he put in a list of the pieces of furniture that were his, he claimed a partner's desk. 
Later, it was discovered in an old photograph that that desk had been in Sonny's house during her marriage to Alfie von Ausberg. The furniture in von Bülow's study has a different feeling entirely from the rest of the house. Exotic, ormolu-laden pieces crowd the room and opium pipes hang on the wall. It was here that he left the note containing the phrase metal box, which led to the discovery of the infamous black bag that contained the syringe and insulin that were at the heart and soul of the case. In a world of people who call their mother mummy, Allah and Alexander call theirs mom. As I walked through the house with them, they said things like, This was my mom's favorite color, pointing to the coral painted walls of an upstairs sitting room. Or, you should have seen my mom arrange flowers. Their mother's bedroom remains exactly the way it was on the night of the second coma. Her elegantly canopied bed consists of two beds pushed together, made up separately with portholt sheets and monogrammed blanket covers. On von Bülow's side of the bed is an old, silver-framed photograph of him in a striking, almost noble pose. I opened a handsome box on his bed table. It was filled with cartridge shells. Under the shells was a used syringe. In one of Sonny's closets next to her evening dresses are unopened gifts from that last Christmas of 1980. One from her lifelong friend, Isabel Glover, another from her now-deceased mother. Their festive wrappings are faded and limp. What vivid writing from Dominic Dunn. I remembered those descriptions in this article stunning me in 1985. The feeling is still the same in 2023. Dominic Dunn getting close to Sonny's first two children. But Sonny has a third child, Cosima. And Cosima and Allah and Alexander are separated. They're estranged. They hold very different points of views about Klaus von Bülow. And at the heart of the matter is a whole lot of inheritance money. Dunn will continue writing about Sonny's children's relationship. The estrangement from Cosima's half-brother and half-sister was over Clarendon Court. Although she was welcome to use the house at any time, Alla and Alexander would not vacate the place for her. When I told Von Bülow that Alla and Alexander still cared for Cosima, he replied, I just think they have to put their money where their mouth is. I am not impressed with constant repetitions of love and holding on to her money. I'd much rather hear them say they hate the brat, and that's why they're holding on to her money. Both Von Bülow and Mrs. Reynolds were obsessed with the fact that Cosima had been cut out of the $110 million estate of her grandmother, Annie Laurie Aitken, for siding with her father. She's out $25 million, Mrs. Reynolds said to me one day after Cosima and her boyfriend had left the table at Mortimer's. One of the most poignant moments of the trial occurred on the last day when all three of Sonny Von Bülow's children appeared in the courthouse. It was the first time Alla and Cosima had seen each other since a chance encounter on the street three years earlier. As the divided family passed in the corridor, they looked straight ahead and did not speak. She's gotten so beautiful, 
Allah said to me later of Kosama, my mother would be very proud of her. So that's one way Dominic Dunn is spending his time when the jury is out for deliberation. Dominic Dunn is also making some key connections within the press corps and getting a different kind of scoop from them. We're going to take a quick break here and reveal that story after a word from our sponsors. Back in a moment. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Oh, Dominic Dunn is also making a lot of new friends within the press pool. He is loving this new scene. He is really beginning to find his place in his third act. Can you imagine what his notes look like going back to Vanity Fair? How many scribbles of juicy pieces of detail. Dunn will have an encounter with his press buddies after his return from Clarendon Court while the jury is still out for deliberation. Dominic Dunn will write about this particular evening. That night, 12 members of the media who had covered the trial gathered for a farewell dinner in a Providence restaurant. Their conversation never strayed far from the subject that had held them together for nearly nine weeks, the trial. They discussed the fact that once again Klaus von Bülow had not taken the stand, and they felt that it had been a foregone conclusion in the defense strategy from the start that he was never going to. The defense was aware that the prosecution was in possession of an exhaustive report by a European private detective agency on the life of von Bülow before his marriage to Sonny. And a clever prosecutor, given the opportunity to examine the defendant directly, would have been able to ask many potentially embarrassing questions. Another topic of conversation was Judge Corrine Grant, whose frequent rulings favorable to the defense raised questions of her impartiality. In what was certainly the most controversial ruling of the trial, Judge Grand had agreed with Von Bülow's lawyers that the testimony of G. Morris Gurley, Sonny's banker at the Chemical Bank in New York, should be barred. Gurley would certainly have testified that, according to a prenuptial agreement, Von Bülow would receive nothing from his wife in a divorce. However, according to her will, he would inherit $14 million if she died. I repeated a story I had heard that afternoon from someone who had been present at an exchange between Mr. Gurley and Alexandra Isles in the witness room. Mrs. Isles had just completed her testimony when Gurley was informed that he would not be called to the stand. Gurley was stunned. So was Mrs. Isles. I can't believe they're not letting you testify, she told him. I wasn't the motive, Morris. The money was the motive. He had me for free. Late in the evening, someone came up with the idea, since there were 12 of us, of pretending to be a jury and voting a verdict, not as we anticipated the jury would vote, but as we would vote if we were members of the jury and knew everything we knew 
rather than what Judge Grand had selected for us to know. Our waitress brought us a pad and pencils, and each person cast his vote. Our verdict, we all agreed, would remain our secret. It really is no surprise, though, Dominic Dunn thinks Klaus is completely guilty of these crimes. And the interaction between Klaus and Dominic after the verdict is a topic we will cover in the final episode of this arc. That's what Dominic Dunn is doing while the jury is out for deliberation, hanging out with Alla and Alexander at Clarendon Court, hanging out with his press buddies. What is Klaus von Bülow doing while the jury deliberates? Dominic Dunn lets us know that too. Dunn writes, During the four days the jury was out deliberating, Klaus von Bülow wandered up and down the crowded corridors of the courthouse, chain-smoking vantage cigarettes and behaving like a genial host at a liquorless cocktail party, moving from one group of reporters to another with his endless supply of anecdotes. They even took time to call his most consistently loyal friend, the art historian John Richardson, to ask when he planned to leave for London. Monday week, he was told. He asked Richardson if he would take 12 large bags of potato chips to Paul Getty Jr., who loved potato chips, but only the American kind. Priorities, am I right? Dunn continues, On Monday morning, while waiting for the jury to reappear, Von Bülow was tense and withdrawn. In the minutes before the jury entered, Barbara Nevins, a popular CBS reporter, leaned over from the press box and asked him if he had any final words before the verdict was delivered. In an uncharacteristic gesture, Von Bülow raised the middle finger of his left hand to her. Is that for me, Mr. Von Bülow, or for the press in general? asked Miss Nevins. Thinking better of the gesture, he pretended that he had meant to scratch his forehead. At that moment, the jury entered. What happens next? We know Klaus Von Bülow is found not guilty in this second trial, but... What does that verdict actually mean? To Klaus von Bülow, who will now be a free man? To Sonny in her irreversible coma? To all three of Sonny's children, Alla, Alexander, and Cosima? And to all of the other folks involved within this von Bülow affair? The mistresses, Andrea Reynolds and Alexander Isles? The devoted maid, Maria Schralhammer? And to high society? What is the aftermath of the verdict of the second trial? That story is coming for you on the next Done and Done. Thank you so much for tuning in today and your support in all the ways. For spending your time with me, for telling your friends about Done and Done, for your kind emails and your kind reviews as well. Y'all really know how to make a gal feel special Big thanks to our Patreon community. Holy cats, now over a hundred strong. People over there getting ad-free and early episodes, bonus not done yet episodes on the weekly, and a monthly book club too at additional levels of support. Y'all are truly amazing humans. I am grateful for you. Thanks again, everybody, for spending your time with me today in this continuing arc of the Von Bulos. When we meet again, we're going to be wrapping it all down. But until we meet again then, stay curious and keep on investigating.
Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.